food bloggers. Hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. Do you ever get asked, what do you do for a living? And then you fumble over your words because you have no idea how to respond because you feel like people are not going to understand you. Or do you ever feel like the term food blogger or the way we describe our work is so underrated and undervalues what we do? I feel like all of us can relate to those things. Laura Tobin from Your Guardian Chef joins me in this amazing episode to talk about this topic and how we as content creators should be treating these blogs like actual businesses. She touches on how to talk about it, how to approach it, how to change our mindset so that we are more serious about this amazing work that we do and how strong and efficient and resilient and smart we all are. This is such a good episode. I really think you guys will be inspired by this. This is episode number 409, and it is sponsored by Rank IQ. Eat Blog Talk is here to support you at every stage of your food blogging journey to help you accelerate your blog's growth so you can achieve your freedom. We offer many services that will help get you on the right path no matter where you're at in your journey. Don't forget to check out our free discussion forum at forum.eatblogtalk.com. Go there to connect with like-minded peers, to learn and to grow, and to share any wins that you have. Our signature service is our mastermind program. We are currently accepting waitlist submissions for 2024. So if you want to get on the list for this year-long experience starting in January 2024, definitely do that now. If you are not quite ready for that investment, the Mini Minds program might be for you. It is a six-month program that will help you achieve your goals and overcome any obstacles that are holding you back. And if you're up for getting together in person with some like-minded food bloggers, consider coming to one of our in-person retreats in 2023. This is a great way to get to know your fellow food bloggers really well in an intimate setting to learn a ton about food blogging in a short time frame and to eat some delicious food that you will never forget. Go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash services to get all the information about all of our services. In 2018, Laura's husband suddenly passed away and she became a single mom with two teenage sons and no income. In 2019, she decided to focus on a food blog that she'd started previously as a hobby and turn it into a viable business. Applying her technical and business skills, Laura was successful in joining Mediavine one year later. For the last four years, Laura has worked as a single mom of two sons while growing a business with limited time and resources. She has two master's degrees, one in civil engineering, and an MBA from London Business School. Hi, Laura. How are you today? Thanks for joining me on eBlog Talk. Hi, Megan. Thank you for having me. I was really looking forward to this uh, chat with you. Yeah, same. So before we dig into the topic today, do you have a fun fact to share with us? I have a couple of actually. First of all, at the beginning of my career, before my previous life, I was uh, working on an offshore platforms in the North Sea Ooh. as a petroleum engineer. Oh my. Yeah, so <laughs> that's a fun fact. And now I changed completely. Now I live in the south of France. I still have a son here at home. And then I have a dog, two chicken. Oh, <laughs> so, wow. it was a big transformation. 
so versatile. I don't even like that first thing you said. Yeah, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> what <laughs> I actually completely forgot it, but when you said it, I was like, what does that even mean? But so cool. You have a diverse life. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that. And thank you so much for being here today. You're going to talk about how we need to maybe view our businesses as businesses, professional ventures, right? If we took this from a hobby or whether we started it intending it for for it to be a business, we do need to see it as a business if we want to make money. So we're going to talk about that today. But first, I would love for you just to kind of talk through your journey, where you're at today and all of that. Yes. So I, as I said, I started my career as a petroleum engineer in Norway. And then I did an MBA in London Business School. And then I decided to get married. So as many professional women, I left my full-time career to start a family. And with my husband, we've been living a bit everywhere around the world. And then we moved back here in the south of France. And we had two boys. And unfortunately, four years ago, my husband uh, suddenly passed away. So I became a single mom with two teenage sons. And I had to reinvent my life because I was actually working with my husband a bit of a like in the background because I was mainly you know, looking after the family. So I had to close my husband's business and reinvent my career. I took back my blog that I started more like a hobby and turn it and I, I had to turn it into a professional business to get an income. So in 2019, I took it seriously. And the year after I joined Mediavine, and I'm currently, you know, struggling between, you know, my two son, this huge house that I'm managing and, you know, my blog and my animals. Mm. So my older son is in London, is working. So I still have my young one, 16. And in one year, I'll be, you know, starting a new life. He'll go to university. So I'll be by myself wow. focusing on my business. Yeah. Wow. A lot of major life changes for you in the past few years. I'm so sorry about your husband. I'm sure that was a devastating loss and just not just a loss, but what an abrupt change of pace for your life, right? To have to just completely reinvent yourself, really. Yeah. So, you know, it is a journey that, you know, I'm still, it's still a, a hard journey yeah but you know I'm thankful for the blog for me it has been a big saver not only because as a business I'm now earning an income but even to get distracted with what was happening in Mm -hmm. my life you know and to just jump into it and you know move on continue with my life for me and for my sons Oh, wow. This is, okay, I can already tell this is going to be an inspiring conversation. (laughs) So cool. Okay, I have a lot of questions. Let's move into just kind of the stereotype of blogging because you moved into blogging more seriously out of necessity because you had to. This was like an opportunity. Okay, I can make money. Let's do this. But a lot of us just, like, we don't do it out of necessity. We just do it because maybe, you know, like, we're at home and we're we're, be, we're parenting at home, so we might as well blog, like that sort of thing. So talk about the whole stereotype of food blogging. What do you feel like describes a food blogger? 
Yeah, you know, the the reason I came up with this topic is because, you know, often on the on those Facebook group where we are, there's somebody coming up with the question, you know, it's like I was out socially and somebody asked me what am I doing, what I was doing for a living and, and I don't know what to answer. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's the typical things that as a food blogger, we're kind of like almost we don't know what to answer. We have a, a identity crisis. Who are we? <laughs> you know, who we are. And because, you know, most of us just started out of boredom, you know, yeah. you're in the family. And and, and so this, this stereotype of a food blogger that is either, you know, the mom cooking dinner for the family and taking pictures and posting it on on, on the blog, or, you know, the, the, the young girl that it's eating the salad and, you know, and, and posting pictures on Instagram. But, you know, the reality is that when you start talking with people, you you see that most of us are highly educated. And there's no mystery on that, because if we are able to be successful as blogger, we must have a brain. I mean, Google hire space engineers, rocket science, to build up their algorithm. So if we are able to beat it and be on top of it, you know, probably we have some brain there. <laughs> so, you know, so, you know, that's why I think, you know, to be embarrassed or saying I'm a food blogger, we shouldn't be. You know, I have my, my neighbor here is an old 90 years old man. And so he thinks, I explain to him what I do, but he doesn't understand. And so he thinks I'm running an illegal business. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> he thinks I'm running an illegal restaurant oh out of my, my house. So he called the, the president of the domain saying, okay, she has to stop cooking. You know, she's doing something oh illegal. <laughs> so, That's you know, so funny. But you can't, you know, you go explain somebody in 90 years of age what is a blogging, you know, the content creators, he, he doesn't, you know, he yeah. doesn't understand. But anyway, so the fact that there are a lot of women into this business is, is, is obvious. It doesn't fit with our lifestyle because, you know, it gives us a, a possibility of working flexibly on a flexible environment so you have you're driving your your son to sports and you can do your social media on your phone or while the the children are nappy you can do your blog post so it, it allows you to work uh, flexi on the flexible hours and then also the the positive things that i have experienced personally is the fact that you have a passive income and sometimes i i have a period of time of weeks that I have some emergency to deal with and I don't have anybody to delegate. So I have to be involved directly and I might not be able to work for two, three weeks, but I still get that income coming mm-hmm. through. And it's, it's so, I'm so grateful for that. It's so important. And also the other thing is that because we have a family, we understand what the problem is of providing a meal for the family every single day so yeah. we know what our reader problems are and how to solve it okay so many great points here i love that you talked about rocket science and how basically we're smarter than rocket scientists i think was the point <laughs> but seriously like food bloggers are so underrated and undervalued because i don't feel like the general population truly understands like even someone who is fairly educated and on the younger side that's not a food blogger, 
or a content creator, if I tell them I'm a food blogger, they ha- they don't know what I'm talking about. I still get the comments that are like, oh, are you like a restaurant critic or do you write a – like people just don't get it still. Don't get it, no. No. So I'm really excited for the day when food blogger is just a more common term that people truly understand or do we not want to get there? I don't know. What do you think? No, you know, I've seen lately, I've seen this two words coming out more often, which I, it's a content creator, mm-hmm. which, which I think it's better described the, our current as a professional, because it's a content creator. It's, yeah, I think it's more refined than, than food blogger. Yeah. I think food blogger as a stereotype at this point, we just need to change the name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's like you imagine somebody just doing this as a hobby for fun, occasionally in their on their couch or something. Like that's what I think of when I think of food blogger. Content creator takes it up a notch, take it a little bit more seriously. Maybe it's a business. So yeah, I think the term has to change, evolve, and then also we need to just like educate people more on what we actually do. And that we are not just hobby bloggers sitting in our homes, occasionally eating food and randomly posting pictures. We run legitimate businesses and we are smart individuals, right? Absolutely. And I think it starts with us as well. We have to treat ourselves. We are entrepreneur. That's what we are. And an entrepreneur is much more adventurous career than employed into a business because entrepreneurs have to put their hands everywhere. It requires so much skills. It's it's so much more challenging. And when we are successful, we have to be proud of our success because it's not easy. Right. And I feel like even the term entrepreneur is a relatively newly understood term. I feel like even, I don't know, 10-ish years ago, when I heard that term, I didn't know what it meant. I just thought it meant unemployed or like hoping to find a job or something like that. But now people are finally understanding what that word means. Like, oh, okay, you're adventurous. You want a flexible career. You have the sky is the limit mentality. And that is associated with that word. And so what we need to work on is associating content creator slash food blogger with that same meaning. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, you know, it's interesting enough, I met with one of my professors from London Business School. He was an entrepreneur professor, which I will, I will speak about it later. But so he was saying that now when, when I did my MBA in, in the late 90s, I'm going to reveal my age now with this. <laughs> but, but so everybody was doing an MBA to get into finance. And I even worked in the city in London for two months. And that was everybody's aspiration. Now, he was saying the students uh, now, they want to set up their own business. They want to be entrepreneurs. So it is changing. Yeah, it is. I see it changing every year. There's more of an understanding. I feel like there are fewer people going to college because it's more understood that you can make a difference in the world by being an entrepreneur and doing your own thing, paving your own way and making a lot of money, right? There's a lot of money. If you can dig into a problem and solve that problem for people and you're creative and you're resilient and all of those good things, 
you can make as much as you want. And I think that's one of the messages here. There's flexibility. There's a lot of money in it if you want that. And you can find the success that you want. And, and we, we are the limit. We are our limit because it depends on us how much hard we want to work Ooh. and how, how much we want to achieve. So we can control that. And while often when you're, especially for a woman, if you're working on the business, you more easily hit the glass ceiling, yes. especially if you have a family. Well, if you run your own business, you have more control of what you're doing. And I think that's what a lot of us see. We see that potential, and that's why we get into this, don't yeah. you think? Mm, yeah, yeah. We, we see things that maybe other people don't see, like your 90-year-old neighbor clearly is one of those people, like you're not running an illegal business. But most people don't see it, and then a select few of us see the potential and how it aligns with our skills and talents. And that's why we so passionately dig into this profession. Yeah, it's a completely different... You have the freedom of choosing where you want. And and as I said, you know, I mean, I, I really mean the, the rocket science thing. We are smart women and we know where we want to be and what we want to be. And sometimes it's difficult to explain to others. And that's why, you know, going back to when I'm out socially, what should I say I do? It's difficult to explain or for people to believe in what we're seeing. We're visionary. Mm, yeah. I mean, even my parents who have heard me explain this in various ways over the past 10 years or more, they still don't understand. So it's funny when we're in the midst of other people, they'll be like, now, here, here's my daughter, Megan, like, and Megan, explain what you do. Like, they, they don't know how to explain it at all. And they're like, now, how again do you make money? Like, they just cannot, as many times as, I, as I've told them, like, advertising and, you know, like, all the things, they just cannot wrap their heads around it. So it's funny how there's just a barrier to understanding it, really, for so many people. Yeah, but but also it's because it's a it's a completely new industry. Mm-hmm. It's changing so rapidly. I mean, with these new things on the AI, it's just revolutionizing the entire world, and especially our own industry is changing so much, and it's very difficult to keep up on the changes. Oh my gosh, that's so true. <laughs> but yet, despite all of this and how difficult it is to communicate and keep up, we do need to continue to treat our businesses like businesses. So talk to us about how to do that. So how do we kind of set our stage to be a business? So practically, you know, from what we studied at business school, a startup has five different stages. And each stage requires different skills from the owner of the business. So at the beginning, you have the conception uh, stage that you're still thinking of the idea. And then you have the survival. So you start the business and you're still trying to make money out of it. And in these two first two stages, what is very important is the ability of the owner to do things we have our hands into everything. We're doing everything. Mm-hmm. And then what is very important is to have enough cash to move forward. Then we get to a profitability uh, stage that the owner ability to do is still important and the cash is still important. But then 
also start to get into the importance of planning, delegating tasks, and working with people. And as the profitability grows, the working with people and the planning and the ability to delegate becomes more important than the ability of the owner to do and the cash. And then we, we reach a takeoff and then, then the company grows. But it is important into the, all the different stages to take a step back and to really plan on what we need to do. Yes. Okay, so that's like you set the stage for like a traditional business model, right? But this applies to the content creator business as well. Yeah. So, for example, there are a lot of bloggers, for example, they are actually have uh, they have a day job and they do blogging, you know, in the evening or their spare times because they want to transition. So that is like a, a career change that they are testing the water to, which, I mean, my my situation also, I mean, it, you know, from uh, offshore petroleum engineers, you know, I'm writing a blog. So, you know, we have different working identity and some people decide to take an early career and then decide to change. And especially women, when they start seeing that they need to manage more the family and the business. And so it's important that we analyze and we we study what we want to do. I found that you had on your blog, I haven't uh, found the link, you had a business plan that you shared. Yeah, right. That was extremely helpful, actually. Oh, good. Yeah, I I did that a couple of years ago. Yeah, it must have been when I decided to just move, you know, take seriously the, the blogging. And I went through and it was very well done. And it covered the right things and to just shape the idea of food blogger and content creators into a professional business, you know, to, to really understand what are unique value proposition, to understand who are your competitors, who is your avatar. I think that was extremely well done. And I'm sure that that's very helpful. If, I don't know if you can resurface yeah, I actually found the episode. Yeah, it's episode 92. So if you go back and listen to that episode in the archives, I haven't, I mean, I've received some feedback about it, positive feedback, but I feel like I made it maybe a little bit too complicated, which is kind of one of the things that I tend to do overcomplicate things, but it is such a good plan. If you can get through it, oh my gosh, you will have such a solid plan for your avatar, your business, what your strengths are, all of that. But you do have to carve out kind of a chunk of time for it. Yeah, but you know, I think it's important to do your homework. You know, it depends on the personality that, that you are. And, you know, there is also some personality, you know, this personality test that they do when they hire people. There is this Meyer Brigger Foundation that understands what your personality is and what your strength and what your weakness and but I think it's important to go through that because that are the basis for then moving your business forward because I think we are bombarded by people selling you things you have to do this you have to do that and what what do you do you you know you start investing money into this and that and doing this course and doing that course and you lose track of what you were doing. I think that business document, this business plan document that you have, is extremely important because you need to have, you need to do your homework, be sure of what you want to do and not follow what everybody else is doing. You need to have 
clear ideas. Mm-hmm. Clarity. Yeah, I mean, clearly I think the same. <laughs> I wouldn't have created it. It took me a long time to create that document, and I feel so passionately that just everything that you've said, Laura, like it is very important to think through all of these things. And if you do it, you will be rewarded in your business. But it's so easy to just downplay that part of it and just to kind of wade through this this experience of being a food blogger, content creator, and to get uh, distracted by the other things that people are doing and maybe doing that and like dabbling here and dabbling there. But I don't think that's the effective strategy all the time. So no. yeah, sitting down and thinking through your your goals and your plan is super important. Hello, food bloggers. We are into spring 2023 now, and I would love to tell you some new things I am loving about Rank IQ. One, I don't talk about this enough, but the customer service at Rank IQ is top notch. It is the best you will find with a tool like this one. If you have a question about the functionality of the tool itself, or if you just want to know how to best use it to get the most keyword juice from Google for your blog and your content, you will receive a prompt and helpful reply. Two, if you don't see your niche in the many categories listed in the keyword library, you can submit a request to have keywords added for your unique niche. Three, right inside Rank IQ, you can connect to your very own Google Search Console account and get real-time information, including pages and keywords that are driving the most traffic, pages that are experiencing growth, and pages that are experiencing contraction. This is really helpful and valuable information. And four, not only can you connect to Google Search Console, you can get instructions about how to use this feature. There's a quick five-minute tutorial video you can watch so you know exactly what you're digging into. Go to rankiq.com to create your own list of favorite parts about the tool. Now back to the episode. Look, I'll give you an example, okay? I was working on a, a redoing an old post mm-hmm. last week. And, you know, I did for your business plan. I have my avatar, you know, my unique value proposition, which is authentic Italian recipe, okay? Okay. So... I was doing my the redoing of the uh, the recipe was authentic Italian tomato sauce recipe and I was looking at all the keywords and all the LSE and all the different things and among the keyword that Google wants me to put on the post there is the word marinara sauce because Google thinks that marinara sauce is the authentic Italian mm. tomato sauce recipe If I hadn't done that unique value proposition and I said, no, I'm going to stick to my Italian recipes that are authentic and it takes, and I said, you know what, Google, you're wrong. (laughs) Marinara sauce is not an authentic Italian recipe, and I'm not going to write about that. So I updated my post, and if I had to include the LSE word marinara sauce, I would write down in marinara sauce is not an authentic Italian recipe. Because, you know, you just need to stick to your value proposition and not follow what, you know, Google or whoever else is telling you to do. And, you know, maybe that post will not rank, you know, high because that's not what Google wants. But I think that the reader that are looking for authentic Italian, they would appreciate the fact that I put into that post that actually 
marinara sauce for Italian is a completely different sauce. It has nothing to do with it. And that's why we do what we do, because we want to kind of pave our own path, right? Yeah. We enjoy doing our own thing and not being told what to do necessarily. Yeah. 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 Okay. Do you have recommendations, thoughts, tips for people listening who want to take their businesses more seriously and just aren't sure maybe how to do so? First of all, I think that that business plan things that you have, it was very good. So I definitely encourage people to go through that exercise, even if it takes a little bit of time, it helps you to understand better what you want to do, what your business is about. And then also what is very important is to really understand, I mean, right now, food blogging is not started as a hobby anymore. It's very competitive. Yes. People that start have an exact plan, the exact budget to invest. They know what to do. So if you want to be successful, you have to treat it like a business. You need to have a budget. No matter what, there will be some expenses that you would need to do. And some basic tools that you need, of course, there is the hosting, the team, the plugin, the email, you know, you just have to invest in those. And then, you know, you need to make sure that you have enough buffer to before of surviving a certain number of years before you become profitable. And on average, normally an entrepreneur business will become profitable after five years. So, you know, you have to have five years of suffering, you know, a forecast of five years of suffering. Then if you succeed earlier, better. But then it's always something that you would need to invest to grow. So even if you are profitable, you will be running a business on a shoestring. And which is very helpful because by having a tight budget helps you to uh, survive shock. Like, for example, the uh, economic shop, there is now the RPM is going down. So maybe we had forecast to earn a certain amount and actually we're earning less because there is an economic downturn. So it's important to make, you know, sound decision on where you want to invest your money. What I did that hopefully is helpful to somebody else is I wrote a list of all the tasks that I need to do for my blog. So, for example, I have all the administration tasks. There are the accounting, the IT, the, you know, administration things. Then I have, uh, you know, the writing of the article, the research, and then I have the video. I do I do videos and I separate all these tasks. And then for a couple of weeks, I use a toggle to mm-hmm. track how much time I was it was taking me to do the different tasks. So I was able to understand how my week was structured. And actually, surprisingly, I thought I was working a lot. And then surprisingly, I realized that I was working less than the French, you know, 35 <laughs> hours a week. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I, I, I'm in France. So yeah, because, you know, you get distracted. And then you go, you have to pick up the, you know, I have to pick up my son from school. I have to, uh, he needs to, this, the house needs to, this repair. You know, there's always so many things that you get distracted. So if you track your time on how much do you really work per week, then you really realize how can you be more efficient. You can also analyze and see what are the tasks that are not important and you can delegate. So for example, accounting. That is definitely something that is not 
relevant for us to be directly involved. You can hire out an accountant and have them do the tax return and everything. The other things, for example, I saw that, you know, my strength, I'm more of a mathematic person than a writer. So I would have loved to outsource my writing. But I asked around some quotes on how much it would cost and everything, and I realized I can't afford to hire out my writing. And that goes back to the exercise I did with your business plan. What was my unique value propositions are Italian, authentic Italian recipes. Therefore, I need to make sure that they are authentic and I cannot outsource to somebody else because either they're mother tongue or they're Italian, but the two things together, they're difficult to find. And for the moment, I can't afford it. So I need to embrace that and maybe invest in something that will make you sp- me speed up the writing process instead of outsourcing it completely because that is a, va- a unique value proposition that I have and I need to retain it with me for the moment. Okay. I love that. That's so true. I always go with my gut on that. Like if there's something I'm doing that I'm holding on to and I don't necessarily know why I'm holding on to it, there's something like that, like what you said about your writing and just being authentic and you need to be there even though you don't necessarily want to be. I run into that wall every once in a while and that's why, because you just have that feeling like, I know I need to be here. I know I need to be doing this. I don't want to be doing this, but I'm going to. So figure out ways to kind of streamline it. Yeah, exactly. You have to do it. You have to, but then at least, yeah, try to optimize. And now there are so many sources that you can use to do that. But even, so for example, you know, I'm fine with IT stuff and Excel sheets and everything. So I found that, for example, investing in AHREF or mm-hmm. uh, SEMrush is not valuable for me because I can create spreadsheet and analyze, you know, my traffic very easily. What I need more is something like Rank IQ that analyzes the article and tells me, okay, you need to use those words, you need to, you know, shape it that way. Or I did the cooking, keyword cooking course with Mm -hmm. Aleka. That was very helpful for me. That also, you know, was something that I needed to invest on. Yeah. So if you feel that it's something you can't outsource and you don't like doing it, just keep training yourself. Oh, that's good. That's good advice. And Laura, I love that you did the time tracking with Toggle. I know I've talked about that a lot on the podcast. I haven't recently, but I used to talk about it all the time. We complain all the time, we collectively as a whole, like, I don't know where my time is going. What am I doing? And like you said, a lot of us think we're working a lot more than we actually are working. (laughs) I found that too when I started doing time tracking that I was not working as much, like by far. There was a huge gap. And that is revealing. It's like, okay, well, what am I actually doing with that time? And then you can tweak it. It's kind of a pain to have to time track, but it's so revealing. And you can tweak and streamline your life and your business in ways that you never imagined. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I mean, that was a revelation for me. I mean, it was like, oh my God, really? I thought I was like, oh, you know, working all the time. I know. I remember telling someone like, I think I work 60 hours a week. And then it came down to it. I was working like 25 or something or 30. (laughs) 
like, what? What was I? What am I doing? <laughs> what exactly is filling in these gaps? So then you can start kind of piecing your puzzle together and like, okay, well, when I'm taking, when I'm picking my son up from school, you know, like just, yeah, seeing your business as a big puzzle and moving the pieces around the way you want it. Okay. So what do you think that we should tell people when they ask us that question that we talked about in the beginning? What do you do for a living? So your neighbor and people like that, like, what do we say? <laughs> so look, it depends on, you know, what stage of the business you're, you're in. Of, of course, if you're still in the conceptual pro, you know, can say we're a writer, you know, you're a writer. But as a second step, I think content creator is a, is a good title. Mm-hmm. And it's wide enough. So they, then they ask you, okay, but how do you make a living? You know, how do you earn right. money, content creators? Like, look, I work, the business model is the same as a newspaper. So then they start to see, okay, if New York Times is making money, then I'm making money like they are. Mm. So they have something easy to understand. Ah, that's a good idea, just to make a, an analogy like that. Uh, yeah, you have to bring it down to a very low level. Yeah, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then you have, you know, you, if you your business has grown a bit more and you have different stream uh, income stream, then you are an entrepreneur in the digital media. Or if you have business that taken off, then then you know you run a digital publishing company. But what, what I wouldn't, and, and that is a more of a European thing, because I know that. Titles in the States are higher than what we would do use in Europe. But a CEO for European is not, we cannot call ourselves CEO. I mean, uh, there was a, an article that I found, I sent you the link, that was saying, should a startup founder call themselves CEO? Officially, you can call yourself a CEO when you have more than five employees and a revenue more than seven figure mid seven figure okay so if you are at the beginning and you have a va and so and you call yourself a ceo then you know you're just not giving yourself a favor hmm. because you're overselling yourself and you know it can be badly perceived by people that understand what a ceo is so personally i would discourage to use the CEO title. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I like that. Anything else along those lines? I feel like I interrupted you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I encourage, I recommend to read. There are two books that I like recommend to read Ooh. to people. So one is the Exitpreneur playbook, How to Sell Your Online Business. I bought it last year and I found it very helpful. I don't know if you remember, there was a food blogger that passed away and made me think, because especially since my husband passed away suddenly and made me think if I was to pass away suddenly, I don't want my sons to be left with this blog that they don't know what to do. Mm. So I want to build a business that can be taken by my sons and be sold if necessary. And I think that this book, The Exitpreneur, helps you to set up the business, even if you don't want to sell it. It's good to have something that is there, it's ready, and if it's necessary or something happened, you know, you need to sell it, it's ready to go. Hmm. And it, it, it's a guidance as well. 
or now you should treat it profitably and everything. So I think it's a good book. I have not heard of that. I definitely want to add that to my list. This is really intriguing. So our our profession is really mysterious. Nobody knows what we do. <laughs> we're the only ones in like in the know, right? Because we're actually doing it. So if something were to happen to us, the people around us would be like, okay, I don't exactly even know what you did, so I don't know how to take it over. So this would help us to kind of think through that. So love that topic. Yeah, that that is a very a very important thing to to just have a look, you know, yeah. and be prepared. You you've never heard. And then the other thing, the other book that I would like to recommend, it was a book from um, my entrepreneur professor John Mullins, and it's a consumer funded business. Oh. Start finance and grow your company with your consumer cash. So it's it's a book that talks about four different type of entrepreneurial business that you practically don't need to invest money on you know, cap- working capital because you're actually using your customer money to build your business. And when you look at the four models that he puts through, they are exactly the type of income stream that we food blogger have in our blog. So for example, so there is the matchmaker money model, which is that practically you are the broker. You just take the order, but somebody else is building the items to sell and somebody else is buying it. And you're just putting the two together and you're getting a fee from it. So that's the affiliate income or the ads. So then you have the pay in advance model where you, you know, your customer pays you in advance for making a product or services. So it can be like a consultant, for example, if you're a VA or if you're selling photography or recipes or videos to other bloggers. That would be the pain advance model. That's another way of an in- creating an income stream. Then there is the subscription model, which is, you know, the pattern, the, you know, subscription, you, you, you create a meal plan and you have your readers to pay a subscription models. Or you have these scarcity based models, which are, you know, you have your product, like you have uh, ebooks and you create a sale funnels. And you have you sell it as a scarcity, like with a reduced price or a time frame that you get your your fees are very low. So those are all income stream that we can build into our blog. And in his book, there is a different perspective because those are businesses like, you know, the Airbnb, the Netflix and the Vent Privé, you know, the group, uh, Guild yeah. Group, you know, those things. And I think it, it, it would be helpful for us bloggers because those are the type of models that we have. We have a, our blog can be a broker for those income streams. So can give ideas. So I, I recommend to, yeah. to read. Awesome. Two books I'm adding to my list. We'll definitely put those in the show notes too if anyone wants to go look. Before we wrap up, okay, this was such an incredible conversation. I just have to say that, Laura. Thank you for bringing this topic to the table and all of your insights and you have such a diverse background. I feel like it contributes to this just really diverse conversation. So thank you for everything. Is there anything you feel like we need to touch on before we start saying goodbye? Thank you. First of all, I wanted to thank you, Megan, because I think it's important to 
to spread the word on what we do and how we should be perceived. And that's what was my purpose for this conversation with you. So I'm very happy that you gave me this possibility. And I'm, I'm really hoping that that would be helpful for all of us. And the other thing is like, I, I just want to give a encouragement to all the food bloggers out there. You're doing fine. You know, if you feel down or discouraged, whatever, just do something new for your blog. What I did, I just, I got some new backdrop for my photography. Yeah, and reinvigorates me. So, you know, that's what I, I want to encourage everybody to just keep going. You're doing fine. Oh, love that little bit of encouragement. Thank you. And thank you so much for joining me again. So I know that was like an amazing word of inspiration you just had. Do you have anything additionally? Do you have a favorite quote you like to lean on? Anything else to share before we part ways? Just make your plan. Don't get distracted. Focus and go. I just want to encourage everybody to just go. Thank you, Laura. We'll put together show notes for you. If you want to look at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash your guardian chef. Go visit Laura's website and social media, and she's going to tell you where to find her. Can you give us those details, Laura? Yes. So I have my YouTube, yourguardianchef.com. And actually, just as a fun note, I do videos voiceover that been really doing much better than just music background videos. So I encourage people to try if you're doing video to do voiceover. And as a curiosity, the voiceover is not mine. It's uh, my very close friend, Deborah Moore. And she's the daughter of Roger Moore. Oh my gosh. And yeah, her mother was Italian. So she has a perfect pronunciation, English, because she trains as an actor, and also Italian. So all the Italian words are perfectly pronounced, and you can learn how to say bruschetta. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we ended with a fun fact without even trying. I love that. (laughs) So fun. So go check Laura out and all her channels. And thanks again for being here. Thank you so much for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you posted it to your social media feed and stories. I will see you next time.